Welcome to Leadership Spotlight, a podcast that shines the spotlight on L&D and HR leaders from leading businesses around the world. Learn the ins and outs of everyday leadership, what it means to be a leader, and all the learning and skilling that goes into making a successful leader that you would like to follow. So lean in and lead on. Focusing on others, their needs, their views, their successes doesn't come naturally to most of us, especially in a corporate dog-eat-dog world that's me-centered. But for some, it's not just a learning philosophy, but a way of life. Dr. Madana Kumar has been walking the talk on servant leadership as he balances two roles, one as the vice president and global head of leadership development at UST Global and second as a servant leadership evangelist helping organizations implement and benefit from this new leadership paradigm. With a PhD in servant leadership, Dr. Madana leverages his doctoral know-how and close to four decades of experience across leading businesses to strategically transform the L&D function, shape the learning strategy of growing organizations, create and nurture a learning culture and accelerate digital transformation with people-first approach at its heart. Welcome, Dr. Madana. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pranjali. Pleasure to be here. So I want to frame this conversation by starting with your journey and learnings along the way. If you can tell us about yourself and your four plus decades of experience, that would be a good place to start from. So I'm primarily an engineer by qualification and uh, work in uh, operations, in manufacturing, in quality and stuff like that. Primarily, typically what an engineer does. And over the while I was doing that, obviously, you know, as part of the natural progression in organizations, I have gone into leadership positions. I I use the term leadership positions, uh, quote unquote. And it is while I have worked in a couple of organizations. And finally, when I was working in IBM is when I started to realize that, that there is more to leadership than the position itself, right? There is more to leadership than position. And it is more about influence, how much you can influence rather than what position you hold and you know and, and things like that so it is an ibm that i consciously decided to let go of my position and chose to join the leadership development team uh, which of course required me to step down from being what we call as a third level manager uh, to an individual contributor a step which many of my well-wishers said that it's, it's, it's a bad step or it's a foolish step to take. But then I made it by choice because I wanted to do more than just practice uh, leadership in limited pockets. And I thought there is an opportunity for, for me to touch more lives. And so in a, in a way, be value multiplier as against a value adder and you know, and that's really what got me into this uh, current role in learning and development and specifically focused on uh, leadership development. And this happened way back in 2004. 
And after that, I've never looked back. I've stayed in that. I stayed focused in that. And I'm so passionate about that topic. So I even when I was offered choices or options to move back into business, I have always said, look, this is something that I enjoy doing because I believe I am touching a lot more lives. I'm influencing a lot more lives. And so I'm going to stay here. So that's the sort of short answer to that journey that, uh, you know, that that has happened for me over the past four decades. There are so many things to uncover in what you said, but the key takeaway for me has been that leadership is not a noun, but an active practicing verb. I think that is what you were trying to say when you said that it's not just in position, it's an influence. And it is how you are able to reach and touch multiple lives by being a value multiplier. I love that completely. There is one valuable idea in leadership studies that has its roots in the Bible, if I can say so, and that is of servant leadership. I'm just going to quote Robert Greenleaf, who has coined the term itself and first introduced this concept in 1970. Again, quote unquote, the servant leader is the antithesis of the autocratic authoritarian leader who's primarily concerned with power and wealth, one who believes in the leader first approach. But servant leaders are not concerned with personal self-interest. Rather, their focus is on others. So what does servant leadership mean to you? And what does it signify in today's disruptive, dispersed business world? Yeah, great question, Rajali. And and I think uh, you set the right foundation by quoting Robert Greenleaf. And I couldn't have done it better, I know, than than giving a quote by uh, Robert Greenleaf because he is the one who coined this term early 1970. By the way, I have done my PhD in servant leadership and, you know, it's an interesting story as to why I did my PhD, you know. So uh, while, you know, I, I told you about how I got interested in leadership development and then I came across this concept uh, of servant leadership and I wanted to study it more. And, you know, and then typically like everyone else, generally what happens is, you know, you want to study more and then you don't find time because you are deep into your operational work, day-to-day -day activities and tasks and stuff like that. So what I decided is to join or register for a PhD so that I know there is an external pressure on myself to, you know, to study this topic. And that's really how I really went into this PhD. I didn't get a PhD because I wanted a PhD. I got a PhD because I wanted to research on this topic. And then I was creating an external pressure on myself to study more on this concept. Yeah. So when I did my doctoral study, I came across with this definition that I quote all the time and people ask me, hey, who is a servant leader that you keep talking about? So I tell them that servant leader is someone who invests in the life of another person to the extent that the other person becomes bigger, better, wiser, richer, healthier, wealthier, more famous than himself or herself. Let me repeat that. A servant leader is someone who invests in the life of another person to the extent that the other person becomes better, bigger, wiser, richer, healthier, wealthier, more famous uh, than the leader himself or herself, right? That's the, truly the, the definition of servant leadership. 
Now, the problem, and there is a problem with this definition because, and also the definition that Robert Greenleaf gave, both of them uh, sound very idealistic. And so when I give this, uh, you know, lead definition, lot of, for, for a lot of people, it sounds very daunting. It sounds mm-hmm. unattainable. It sounds like something that normal human beings can't do and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, to allay those fears, I also give them a practical definition from an organizational point of view. And this is how I position sermon leadership. It, it is a leadership philosophy that is based on that, that puts the welfare of the team members ahead of the self-interest of the leader. So while to be a true servant leader, you got to invest in the life of another person to the extent that the other person becomes better, bigger, wiser, richer, healthier, wealthier, more famous than yourself. You don't need to be daunted by that and you don't need to get afraid of that. To be a practical servant leader in an organization, all that you got to do is to ask this question when you make a decision, when you do something, am I doing this because it is going to benefit me more or is it going to benefit my team bet more, right? So as long as it is for the interest of the team and as long as the team interest is held above my self-interest, I can claim to be a practical servant leader. So that's really how I define servant leadership so so that you can take away the oxymoron nature that is generally associated with servant leader. How can one be a servant and a leader first? So I do this demystification of that and, and then say that, look, You can be a practical servant leader, even if you don't try to attain the ideal status of a servant leader, right? So that's how I define servant leadership, really. But, and you know, and of course, this has been in the works for till since 70s, but I believe that in this current dispersed, disrupted world, servant leadership is all the more relevant. My studies reveal actually four tenets of leadership that the new normal, we talk about the new normal so much, right? Uh, that there is, there are four tenets of leadership that the new normal will demand. Uh, let me go through it quickly. The first tenet is that people will not tolerate power being misused. In other words, followers will need leaders who use the power that they have for the benefit of others and not for their self-interest. That is tenet number one. Tenet number two is this, employees or organizational members are not going to tolerate self-centered leadership anymore. People will ask, look, what did you do for others? In other words, you know, other-centered leadership will be the the, the demand of this thing. What situations like COVID has done is actually, this change has been happening for quite a long time, but what COVID has done is crash this whole change which can happen in the next five to 10 years into four or five months of this lockdown. So what COVID has done is to help everyone realize that, look, there needs to be a higher purpose in life and that higher purpose cannot be just serving my own interest. And so that is tenet number two. Tenet number three is this, that followers in the new normal will demand that leaders have and walk a certain set of values, whatever that is, right? It could be integrity, it could be it could be humility, it could be service and stuff like that. And those values cannot be just profit motive. So there has to be a higher purpose values 
associated with uh, you know others and stuff like that that is tenant number 3 tenant number 4 is very interesting corporates in the past have always always rewarded quote unquote successful people people who achieve things people who go and you know do get, get you know meet targets and stuff like that now the problem with this and in the in future it's not going to be enough because the problem with chasing the success motive is that you end up adding value to yourself you achieve something you get a reward you get a promotion you grow up in the organization and that is not going to be enough in the new normal people will turn around and ask hey look you got this but what did you do to others and this is what i call as uh, you know changing from the success motive to pursuing significance significance i define as adding value to yourself so that you can add value to others it is about adding adding qualifications all all adding knowledge to yourself so that you can serve uh, the unlearned it is about adding wisdom to yourself so that you can teach the foolish it is about adding wealth to yourself so that you can help the poor it is about adding health to yourself so that you can you know serve the sick and stuff like that and that is really what the followers will start asking in the new normal so these are the four tenets of leadership ask that i foresee for the new normal and my research very clearly shows that there's only one leadership philosophy that meets or that answers yes to all these four and that is servant leadership and that's really why i believe that it is absolutely absolutely relevant and it is probably the most impactful servant leadership philosophy in the new normal wonderfully put i love how you were able to break this down because you're right it is so daunting and it sounds so selfless that you almost question yourself will i be able to do this but i love how you broke it down into practical feasible components even the tenets i think they make so much value as we see it in light of corona virus situation or any change that really is taking the world by storm i especially like how you said that success itself needs to be redefined and how significance will probably replace the very definition of success that we have been conditioned to believe interestingly there've also been multiple studies that show that the more the managers that were perceived as servant leaders the more likely they were to have strong spiritual beliefs particularly in areas that you also touched upon the values of honesty humility giving back service so what is your case for the convergence of the servant leader and the spiritual leader or do you think there is none so let me just tell you my personal testimony personally i came to realize or i discovered servant leadership not through robert greenleaf i discovered servant leadership through the holy bible through my faith actually and and then when i got into leadership development and and started looking at uh, these these philosophies i found that you no know, that there is a parallel in spirituality in faith and i have uh, written several papers on you know these aspects uh, from the they taking these out from the bible and but of course when i started studying it i also found that yes there is because if you position this purely as a spiritual 
form of leadership, it's not going to get too much buy-in in an organization. And that's when I realized that is there is an equivalent out there, and that is the Robert Greenleaf version of servant leadership, and and that's how. But I found beautiful congruence between them, between you know me being a spiritual person and understanding and believing in that spiritual values and what what Robert Greenleaf's leadership definition, uh, you know, servant leadership definition and uh, the attributes uh, meant. So my answer to your question is simply this. Of course, you know, everyone need not have that, that type of an experience of going from uh, spirituality into uh, servant leadership in organizational context. But I do believe that being spiritual definitely helps you in being a servant leader a lot more easily, a lot more effectively. There's an anchoring that can happen if you are a spiritual leader, if you are spiritually strong, because, you know, as you correctly said, high moral values and specifically the the desire to serve others or be beneficial to others. And even the concepts like forgiveness, for example, all those are so much more practicable if you have some amount of spirituality in this. Now, having said that, let me also uh, you know, set the record straight. I am in no way stating that if you are not spiritual, you cannot do, you cannot be a servant leader. I, I know I would be very wrong in saying that. Even people who are non-spiritual can become servant leaders as long as it is a conscious choice that they make. So while there is a connection, it is not essential that you got to approach it from a spiritual angle. It just, for me, it just happened that way. It doesn't necessarily mean that for others, it need to happen the same way too. I appreciate you clearing the air about the prerequisite because oftentimes spirituality itself is so elusive and you were right. It is confused with religion and which is where the buy-in from a corporate mindset sometimes becomes a roadblock for most people. But what we all agree upon is that as a servant leader, you are a servant first, no matter if it comes off spirituality background or is it the other way around you have to focus on the needs of others you need to acknowledge everyone else's perspectives provide support exercise forgiveness essentially being with your team and being there for your team and that is something spirituality has been teaching us indeed to consider everyone and everything as a part of the same collective consciousness be aware and be mindful of our thoughts and actions Spirituality is is very personal. It is a personal choice that we make. Uh, so I think we there is no point in going into a you know conflict or an argument about it. It is very personal for me. What does spirituality mean to me? What do I I choose to believe in? It's my personal choice. And so, but the fact is that yes, it can help in you becoming a better servant leader or an easier servant leader. But let me repeat it at the risk of sounding repetitive. Yes. But it is not a prerequisite to becoming a servant leader. Absolutely. It just sets a framework for people to probably build off, but it's not a prerequisite. So that's something that I will also reiterate from my side. So we are both clear on what we are trying to establish. So without getting too hung up about the nuances of spirituality itself, how do you think one can cultivate, if one can, that is, the qualities of a good servant leader? 
you know this is where really the the rubber meets the road because uh, you know it's one thing to understand the concept it is one one thing to understand feel excited about it but uh, you know the how question is always very very important and that is where we provide uh, my research shows that yes uh, servant leadership is has a set of measurable attributes or measurable behaviors and it can actually be practiced so for example the i have developed a set of behaviors which i call as deep dhc behaviors so it's a set, it's a set of seven behaviors it starts with demonstrating conceptual skills right and second is empowerment and then the third is emotional healing and the fourth is putting others first the fifth is behaving ethically the sixth is helping others to grow and succeed and the seventh and the last one is creating value for community so my research shows that if you if if, if one is good at these behaviors he or she can certainly be considered as a servant leader so what we do in the training programs and in the enablement programs that we we develop and and i i call it actually servant leadership in action for momentum or slam as a short form so what we do in our slam program is to help people understand where do they stand with respect to these deep bhc behaviors these seven behaviors that i articulated and then create an action plan so that they can improve on all of those behaviors so it is basically about providing the self awareness on these seven behaviors and then helping them to work out an action plan which can help them to take specific actions verbs that that they can do not just uh, you know out there in the air and stuff like that and what we have also done is these seven behaviors are then further mapped into further attributes attributes like listening attributes like empathy attributes like conceptualization attributes like foresight and stuff like that you know, so that we can know what exactly we need to develop and things like that but if you without complicating it much if you just focus on these seven behaviors as i call it the deep bhc behaviors uh, one can get a great insight into oneself and also create a specific and implementable action plan to move from wherever they are into uh, into into a servant leader and when we do that what we also do is to help them realize that this change needs to happen as a whole person so these seven behaviors themselves the, the deep bhc behaviors themselves are clubbed into four anatomies of an individual four four anatomies being heart head hands and habit you know heart is about the emotions of a leader head is about what the what the leader's point of view or what the leader thinks about leadership hands is about what do they do because of their leadership role or position or whatever it is and the habits are obviously things that they do to keep themselves on track uh, as far as the you know the leadership journey is concerned so so that's that's the framework that i use uh, in in my programs and in my teachings to help people be self aware and transform that is change themselves from whatever they are into true servant leaders through a specific action plan around heart head hands and habits 
Interesting. And as you were speaking about the four anatomies of how it really maps to us, it reminded me of a concept by Robin Sharma. And he speaks about the four interior empires of history makers. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but quickly, if I have to uh, summarize it, he summarizes in similar fashion. He talks about the soul set, the heart set, the health set, and the mindset. I think that is exactly how you classify those as the anatomies. Yeah, that reinforces that. Yeah. And the beauty of this deep BHC behavior set is that they are measurable through a 360 degree survey. So what we do is to help them understand where they stand uh, on a 360 degree. And, you know, the, the beauty of 360 degree is always, you know, that, look, it's not just about what I think. I'm also able to compare what is my perception about myself vis-a-vis the perception that other people have about my behavior, right? And that is a revelation in itself. And that's the biggest revelation that one can get, you know, when you really get into into working on these uh, areas. Absolutely. And you also have this new seed of thought put in my head. What I want to understand from you is we spoke about the seven behaviors, the attributes. How do you really connect the dots between these two So as an example, maybe if you can quote a training program that really takes one from one uh, point A to point B, that's the first set of my question. And second is because we also spoke about a 360 degree survey and because of behavioral change, as we all know, is the most difficult to track. Kirkpatrick did it in the best way possible. But sometimes organizations still struggle to find the behavioral changes. So if you can answer in a two-part way, uh, the way I asked a two-pronged question, maybe that can help. One is on the training piece. How do you, one, achieve it? Second, how do you really then map it or tie it back to what you set to achieve? Yeah. Basically, as I said, the training itself is uh, based on the 360-degree assessment. So every participant in the training goes through the 360-degree assessment. They come to the workshop with the 360-degree assessment report. And then through the through exercises and through discussions, we, you know, obviously a lot with their score. Let us let us take, for example, the 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 behavior of uh, uh, demonstrating conceptual skills. This is actually about visioning, visioning, creating a vision, mission, goals and purpose for the organization. And I pick this because generally when people talk about servant leadership, people will talk about, you know, helping others and helping society and stuff like that. Not too many people understand that servant leaders also need to create a vision and mission and values and goals for their organizations. And that is why, you know, I have included that demonstrating conceptual skills as one of the behaviors. So we ask everyone to look at what is their score on the on that particular behavior. And then we lead them to, okay, what do we need to now develop so that we can improve on that, right? And that is where we, we, we map it to the attributes. And the attributes, for example, on demonstrating conceptual skills is... Uh, what we call as conceptualization, the skill of conceptualization, which is the ability to dream big, big dreams, not constrained by the today's realities. You know, for example, if I am starting a business now, and if I am stuck with what is the restrictions that are that are you know on because of the you know the pandemic, I will not dream big, right? So I have to dream big, uh, you know, not considering the constraints of today. But at the same time, I also have to base it on. Uh, my future experiences and uh, the the current realities and the likely impact of my decisions in future and that is the attribute that we call as uh, foresight right so so to improve the behavior of demonstrating conceptual skills we then ask people to work on 
developing the conceptualization skills and the the skill of in, the foresight itself, which is basically a, a combination of intuition and data and things like that. So that's how the real uh, you know the workshop works, and then based on that they decide that, okay, these are some of the things that we work on. And what we also do is after the workshop, we actually you know, give them coaching support because sometimes you know, creating uh, action plans like this is difficult and implementing them is even more difficult. So we provide them coaching support you know, that can run anywhere between three to six months so that people can actually convert that into actions and we can measure that through what we call as uh, most significant change story so you know we we go back to them at uh, you know at, at periodic intervals and ask them look what's the change that you see in yourself between you know uh, b- before and after and what significance does that change have for your team for others for your organization and you know and that stuff like that and it's the collection of those stories that ultimately becomes the organization culture itself you know so that's that's really how the whole training program because it's not just a workshop it's it is actually a blended thing that runs over for about 6 months or so right so that's the that's the whole training piece the second part of your question is uh, actually much simpler shorter answer through my research what i have done is i've actually arrived at a mapping of these behaviors with certain attributes, right? For example, uh, you know, if you have to put others first, let us take putting others first is one of the behaviors that we need to, that servant leaders need to demonstrate. So for putting others first, the first thing that we, you know, so we, we, have, we have arrived at that mapping based on my early uh, previous research. And the mapping very clearly shows that anyone, if they need to put others first, they have to first let go of their pride and they have to let go of their fear. So the pride needs to be replaced with humility. Fear needs to be replaced with confidence. And in addition to that, they also need to develop two other attributes, uh, attributes of listening to others and using persuasion instead of coercion. So a combination of this humility, confidence, listening and uh, persuasion is what is required so that you can be seen as someone putting others first. And this research has already been done. I have done this research and this mapping is available. And so all that the person does is look at their score on putting others first, which by the way, generally comes low for most of the people who attend the workshop. And then look at those four areas, you know, self-reflect on myself and find out what are the pride issues that I suffer with? What are the fears that I have? that prevents me from you know taking action that is beneficial to others and then trying to replace it with humility and confidence and then how well do i listen and what are my persuasion skills do i just use my position and say that look i am the boss and you got to do it or do i go beyond and help them to realize what's in it for them how will it will benefit them the organization and all that stuff so we we help them un- sort of develop those persuasion skills so that people believe that whatever they are saying whatever they are doing is for the benefit of the team and not in the self interest of the leader that's absolutely amazing and it resonates so much with me going back because we spoke about the bible and again in no way i'm trying to slant it to a religion one or the other but it reminds me of this bible verse which says my cup runneth over i think which kind of points to what we're trying to say that you would want to give to others when you know you have everything you need but again not saying that you first need to put yourself ahead of everyone you have to of course put everyone ahead of you but that will only come with the feeling and no knowledge of you 
being well endowed, well empowered in every area of your life. Is that a correct uh, summarization or do you think I've gone a bit off track as I say it? not at all absolutely correct uh, this thing and actually uh, for those of you who know bible uh, there is a very very direct command from jesus christ where jesus christ tells his disciples that the guys look you know in the world the rulers exercise authority over others and 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 rule over others not so with you and this is these are the uh, terms that he uses he uses the term not so with you you shall not rule over others or exercise authority over others but you shall serve others because i came to serve and not to be served right so it's it's a very direct command from uh, jesus christ to his disciples and to anyone who believes in that uh, faith you know about it right and say so, yes and and add it to what you you said about <clears throat> my cup runneth over and you know and then the and the need to serve others and stuff like that it it, it creates a beautiful ecosystem for servant leadership amen to that so i think what we are agreeing is servant leadership is a longer term approach to leadership rather than a technique that you adopt only in specific situations it takes practice but it can be cultivated with awareness reflection and mindfulness and again going back to what we spoke about the coronavirus pandemic itself looking at the world in its broken form today whether it's the covid pandemic whether it's the politically charged environment or the silos created by religions faiths and beliefs i think we can all benefit from adopting servant leadership in our day to day lives work or outside speaking of leadership what is your leadership mantra my leadership mantra is completely centered around this one statement be significant be significant so basically it is about making your life making your actions making your decisions about others rather than yourself it is about you know in an organizational context it is about taking care of your people and knowing that they will then take care of your customers and then the customers will take care of your profit the bottom line and the top line right actually ken blanchard says this ken blanchard says that profit is an applause that you get for taking care of your employees that's my leadership mantra be significant whatever you do for yourself don't keep it to yourself do it uh, you know for others use it for others and and you know and and other things will fall in place and you correctly said that do not be focused on short term goals it is a long term journey and in in the long term it does pay being significant it does pay so yeah one phrase be significant that's beautiful thank you so much dr madana for sharing your knowledge and insights with us so candidly and for unpacking a seemingly complex leadership principle in an easy to understand and easy to adopt way thank you so much my pleasure thank you for this opportunity Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Spotlight. To learn how you can go from learning to leading, visit www.plethoralearning.com. See you next time.